to another episode of the smooth stylings of what did you do? I'm D Easy. The what's the what sounds? The smooth styling. I don't know what I just said. It just happens. The smooth stylings. Yeah. Welcome to what did you do? <laughs> I I'm Charnel. Are you sure? Still, I uh, hope. Oh, okay. In all of this mess, I'm not quite sure who I am after the last three and a half, four weeks. Yeah, you guys, just so you know, we're recording from our houses separately. This is the first. Yeah, this is the first time we've done it remotely. I hate it already. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not easy to do this. Oh, no. It's easy to record and talk to people. Right. Um, well, it's the difference. Like, I can't see facial expressions, so there might be less laughing on this episode than normal because typically his facial expressions is what makes me laugh. Yeah, I guess. And then... <laughs> No, some people might be excited about that, but yeah, there is other. <laughs> and they could but, suck my uh, what? Huh? Stop it! <laughs> and then, um, what was I gonna say? No, it's easy to do this if we were like interviewing each other or something. You know, if you were just okay. asking me questions and we were talking. But the fact that we're supposed to be like conversating while looking at this outline and laughing about the things that are heart wrenching about this because. <laughs> <laughs> but we're giving to. the people what they want. Yeah, because it's been a while, and I, and I recognize that we need to be, while we have our own needs that need to be fulfilled, and we need to be taking care of ourselves, that we also have a commitment and an obligation to people who listen to us and love it, and to bring them out of their crap as well. So, and we are needle- here. And needless to say, like, this episode doesn't have an intro, because that's kind of hard to, like, do separately. Like, how do you cue that? It's just, It would be a lot. No, it definitely would be. It's it's hard. Yeah, we both have a line we have to say at a certain time, and it's hard to do that when we're not together. So, sorry. Hopefully, you know, that's the only thing that suffers and nothing else. Um, right, but we're so happy that you guys are tuning in, and we're happy to finally be putting out an episode. Um, yes. what, now that we've got this remote thing figured out, uh, we're going to do it again in two weeks. Yeah. And so, like, we're not going to – I haven't got nothing better to do other than I mean, homework and stuff, so – and work – same i'm so. i'm home i am gaming i'm the, i'm doing nothing i'm hiding away um i can't decide if i want to be that person that starts a whole bunch of projects and be like super during this or just be like let me just survive this like I, i'm trying to decide if i want which person i want to be but yeah i thought about buying things to build and make and shape and then i thought about it again and i said no <laughs> I'm just gonna. <laughs> I bought two video games. I bought well. I bought more than that, but those other ones are stupid ones. But I bought two important ones. So I bought Resident Evil Three. Yeah, zombies. And I punked out. Uh, and then I bought Animal Crossing, which is annoying. You love sucks. it. I, you say it's annoying, but you post about that stupid game every day. But I hope everyone is staying safe. I want to shout out to some of the crew members that have been talking to us on Wednesdays because we haven't left you guys totally. Um, on Wednesdays, we have a uh, Zoom meeting, meet and greet, uh, chat with our listeners. We drink and we talk, and it's been fun. I, I've enjoyed that uh, up to a certain extent. I mean, two hours. <laughs> I could yeah. only be social for an hour. We'll make it a happy hour then. But if you guys are interested in that, uh, if you guys are interested in having that kind of Zoom time while we're doing this while with episodes coming out and all that fun stuff, then feel free to join the crew on Facebook. It's easy. <laughs> it's like just find what did you crew request to join, and right. then you're in. 
Right. You don't and have the, to do any dances. You don't have to sing a song. Right. And the reason why we're leaving it to crew members only is because we tried to open it to the public, but we had, of course, Zoom hackers during this time. There are a lot of Zoom hackers um, hacking everybody and they're not fun. And so we had that and I'm like, I'm sorry, we're going to have to go through the crew. I will check the newer members just to make sure that you're legit people, that you have stuff on your accounts and it makes sense. And, you know, you look like real people before I let you in the crew and let you in to the Zoom chats. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Yes. So come join us. I've had I've enjoyed it so much. Yeah, I know. I've enjoyed it a lot. So shout out to Cabrini and Taylor and Tema and Roxanne and Jessica and Lola. Uh Yoranda was there. Uh who else am I missing? Ty, you sound Lola's like DMX. wife. Same. I did I did right. I'm trying to remember <laughs> everyone's face who was there. Oh, uh, I think I got I think I got most of them. Abby, shout out to you from the UK for showing up. It was oh, like yeah, how was awesome. how late was it there? It was like three AM or something. Al- I thought it was like eleven. <laughs> it was eleven, I'm exaggerating. You're so dramatic. But thank you for thank you for staying up with us. So it's been a lot of fun. So if you guys want to come and just talk to us, a lot of stupid Q and A questions and answers and it's fun for me and it's fun Making for fun us. Making fun of Charnel, so. which is a pastime of mine. Yeah, while I'm not there. You Listen, know. you were late, and you know what? I had to make an excuse for you. I had to start answering questions for you, and you left me there hanging. So You should be able to do it. So, yeah, we are here, and we're back to get this thing crack-a-lacking. You already know who we're talking about. It is the Green River Killer, one Mr. Gary Ridgway. Yeah, so um, this is a D case, and I picked this case. Listen, I'm sorry in advance, you guys. This case is wild. He does a lot of stuff. We're not going to talk about all the stuff he does unless you want a four-hour episode. And you guys will say yes, but I will say no um, to that. But <laughs> I picked this case because I so vividly remember him in my childhood. Like, this was one of the, like, stories that scared the crap out of me. I remember, I think there was an episode on Unsolved Mysteries about this case. And then subsequently when he was, like, discovered. But I remember this story scaring the... I don't know why, like... Nowhere near the Green River, but I've always, I was scared as a child about cases that were unsolved. And for the, I guess, most of my childhood, this case was unsolved. So we're getting into it. And I guess I'll, I guess I'll start it. Um, so Mr. Gary Ridgway, um, gosh, he was born on February 18th, 1949. And We've talked about Aquariuses in this because I like to shade Aquariuses because my sister is an Aquarius for anyone who's a Zodiac person. I'm really not. She's also but, a doctor. so. But I mean, they, you know what <laughs> the similarities are in this? They thrive in anything they do. And Gary made sure he thrived in this. And that's what he did. He, I think, killed most victims in the U.S., I want to say. Um so we're going to talk about him anyways. Born, like I said, February 18, 1949 to Marion Thomas Ridgeway. Um, he was born in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, he was the middle child, so he had an older brother, a younger brother, and then him. And around the age of 11, he moved to Washington State, um, Kings County, I believe it is. Yes. yes Washington ma'am, State. Ma'am. Huh? I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Good old SeaTac, Washington. I know nothing about that. You make it seem like you're from there. Anyways. <laughs> Born and raised, baby. <laughs> Liar. 
Anyways, his childhood was just awful. I have nothing good to say about this man's childhood. Um, his mother was the night a nightmare. And again, I don't like to excuse um murderers, serial killers, people who do awful things, um, and use their childhood to uh, defend what they do. But a lot of his childhood informed what he does in the future. Um, so. Let's start with his mom. Like I said, she was awful. She was very verbally abusive to everyone in the household. It was her and four um, boys. And she was very uh, verbally abusive to all the men in the family. For his father, Thomas, she was not only verbally but physically abusive. I mean, Gary and the brothers had witnessed her like throwing things at the dad. And in return, his dad really didn't defend himself. Um, he was very meek. He was... Um, that's what they described him as and not somebody actually gary looked up to because of this um so i i thought that was kind of funny instead of like defending his dad he was like this man is kind of weak so gary i don't know if it's from the trauma from his mother whatever but he suffered from um childhood bedwetting um i can never say the name of it what is the name of like bedwetting do you know? No, I do know it, and it's, it's in the back it's of my mind. But you could just call it bed. And uresis, and you, I can never say it right. He was a bedwetter. Yeah, he was a bedwetter. <laughs> I was gonna try the word, um, but so he did his bedwetting thing from like when he was young to age thirteen. So this was something that was a problem, and it's something that really angered his mother. Um, every time he would wet himself, she would take him into the shower. Um, she would, you know, wash him all over. Now, I, I mean, this is going on to the age of 13. Um, he wasn't cleaning himself. She was cleaning him, um, paying special attention to his private parts and focusing on his private parts. On top of that, she was like half clothed when she was bathing him. So, of course, that would cause a lot of, I mean, honestly, that's just sexual abuse. There's no, right. I mean, there's not. I mean, that caused a problem, but that's just sexual abuse, and that's what she was doing to him. And, of course, that informed him in many ways, especially when he was turning, you know, he's 13, so he's starting to turn into his teenage years. Um, He's seeing this woman, but he feared, but then at age 14, he started to kind of lust after her and have sexual feelings for her. So he was scared of her, um, and then that fear kind of turned into, like, sexual thoughts so he states that he started having sexual um thoughts about his mother at that age um so yeah that's that's just a lot for him to go through no it definitely was and i I think what's uh really interesting uh specifically about i don't know like so we don't know much about what else uh gary was doing sexually with people his age i mean he's a teenager teenagers um definitely start thinking about you know, sex, even if they're not uh, participating in it. Um, so if he, she is the only one where who he's having any sexual contact with whatsoever, um, and he's afraid of her, um, we don't know, like, what... Oh, he's never actually said, like, what his mother was saying to him during I mean, this time. There was also talks about... I mean, there is talks about, like, his mom telling him about... And I don't know if it's during this bathing time, right. but in general, she would talk about how she wanted to have affairs and extramarital things. I don't know if she did or didn't, but she would talk about extramarital affairs 
with Gary and sexual stuff with that. Not just, I want to have an affair, but like sexual things she would like to do. Right. I mean, there's so. a, there's always a line. Right. Um, specifically, I tell parents, there's nothing wrong with having conversations about sex with your kids, but you shouldn't have sexually fueled conversations with your kids. Like it should never be, you're, there's a saying that, you know, if you're old enough to ask, you're old enough to know, right. um, which isn't true. No. Uh, but it's, it's nothing wrong with teaching your kids how to have safe, responsible sex and also what consent looks like and what physical and non-physical cues look like and all these things. But you don't need to be detailing what you want to be done to you, what you like about sex. All those things do not need to happen. And so those things confuse like young developing minds. Um, so I could I could see how... Mm-hmm he could end up running into that weird my mom i would like like what is the oedipus oedipus complex complex yeah, i can't yeah talk i mean they they you know some of the things i've listened to about this case they talked about the freudian stuff the desire to sleep with his mom and i mean he was going through that um right. so yeah definitely <laughs> definitely going through that i mean it informed him um about women i mean imagine she was domineering she was scary she was forceful um, she controlled him in every manner, money, everything. She controlled everybody in every way. And then she had this sexual side of her and this inappropriateness of her to her when it came to Gary. So, I mean, this is just the beginning seeds of what happens next. And then <laughs> to light fuel to this already burning fire, his father, who worked at a, who was a mor- well, mortuary, that's what they call them, right? I, yeah. Listen, I call them funeral homes, whatever. <laughs> well, not but, everybody is a director. So true. that's the he, thing. He so wore, morticians no. are people who do the actual... I mean, funeral directors do that too. But right. morticians are the people who do the work. Yeah. So funeral directors are people who are in charge. I know he worked there. Yeah. I don't know what position he had. But he would describe to Gary about a coworker who was into necrophilia. Which is sleeping with dead bodies or i guess lifeless things um so he becomes informed about that through his father now his father wasn't like condoning the practices that were going on at work but he's telling him about it and he's telling him about it at a young age and this actually does affect him when we get into the cases when he gets older yeah necrophilia is is an is an odd thing so it is it is definitely something that um, it's it's really weird to to read about necrophilia specifically because there, there's a million reasons why people believe that it happens. Um, and if you don't know what a paraphilia is, uh, it's because that's what a necrophilia is. And unfortunately, a lot of any paraphilia is just anything that kind of brings on sexual arousal. Um, that's not your typical sexual thing. So like weird objects and situations and um, strange fantasies, behaviors, those kind of things. Um, but necrophilia is just one of those things where everyone's like, what the hell, bro? Like, it's like one of those, and there's different types of them and there's different categories. So it is a, uh, yeah. it is an odd place to walk. And there's a lot of weird triggers for that. I don't want to call it, I, I would call it weird, but there are people who experience necrophilia without actually engaging in it. Um, right. and like, I was reading a, I was reading a, a write up about it the other day, but go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, you could go on, but that's, like, I I heard about it, too. Like, people who, like, I guess it works for them if it's, like, if their partner is just kind of lifeless in the bed. Yeah, it's like role-playing. So, if you're you're role-playing it, it's it's odd for me because it's not my thing, but I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum. 
but there are people who take it a step further and for me it's a it's a break in reality um as far as what it is because some people kind of just want someone to be as submissive as possible if you go like the jeffrey Dahmer route where he kind of just wanted a slave and so you have those people there's there's that story of the guy who dug up his like boss's like his boss's wife or something like an old old story was um, necrophilia involved with Luca? Yes, yes. Okay, he because like, he killed. Yeah, he killed homeboy and then he used his hand to to masturbate. So yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a strange place to be. There's just so many places to to walk through. There are people who, like I said, who enjoy the role playing aspect of it. There are people who like the other aspect of actually. Um, I don't know what you would call that. Like just. T- taking things from them i can't remember what it was called um and then other people who are just into pr- like they would just rather just have sex with dead people and know right. they couldn't even perform if they wanted right. to for for their husband or wife right i wonder if that kind of ha- happens to him but anyways i don't know <laughs> we're talking about that but uh, like so that was his home life um naturally we always talk about school education how was this kid in school how he interacted with others and for the most part we know stories about serial killers who have difficulties in school interacting with others and stuff like that socially surprisingly gary was fine and actually gary was well liked by his classmates in school which is not the norm for most people but where he had difficulties is actually academically so he had an iq of 80 around 80 and he also had uh, dyslexia. And I think it really affected his self-esteem. Uh, he hated it. Um, I know what going older, he, he kind of harped on like not being good at anything except murdering. He was kind of like, look at me. Look how far I've come in this one thing. I'm more successful than he actually mentioned Dahmer. So... Thanks. Yeah, so like, you know, this is this was his success story for him because his IQ and academically he did not do good. Of course his mom would talk shit about him and his um lack of performance academically. Uh so there's that. So one of the things that happens with people who have some academic issues and I've actually seen it with kids is anger issues. So besides of what's going on at home, so what what was going on at home is he had sexual feelings for his mom. He actually thought about also killing his mom. So he had those two going on in his head because she was so abusive at the same time he had sexual feelings. So there's anger there. So he goes to school. He's fine with his classmates, but academically he's frustrated. He's not getting it. So there is an increased anger. Um, this, you know, it's funny because... <sighs> I hate, I hate this. I hate when, I hate going there because it's such a typical stereo, like, uh, serial killer thing, but, like, he does what serial killer does, which is start to act out violently, which is start to kill small animals. Hmm. So this is what he starts to do. Um, he mentioned he preferred, uh, killing birds. And he started to experiment with arson. And, you know, I know, it's, it's hard because I've worked with kids like this who kill small animals and like and it's like it's so hard because you you feel bad for them Mm. but then you're like this is could inform what happens to them in the future (laughs) 
So just like working with teenage girls. And I, like I said, I've seen kids like this. So I kind of like, oh, at the same time, it's like, ah, red flag. No, I mean, killing anything is a red flag for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, it's, he started it's the, fairly young. Yeah. It's the triad. It's the the uh the bedwetting the bedwetting yep. to animals it's the, the fire setting arson so mm-hmm. he's just hit all of them and yeah and i mean the abuse like he had a lot of things going against I, him again i didn't want i had such a hard time because i don't want to excuse him i don't want to feel bad for him but he had just so bad, much going but he did it sucked he had um, a lot of things going against him like like yeah no, I wonder if, did. you know, I wonder if one thing, and you wonder, like, you wonder if one thing would have changed if it would have made a difference. Like, what if he had nurturing parents? Would have made a difference? Who knows? It might have. It might have, but, like, at the same time, it, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. I don't want to blame it completely on his, you know. Well, no, I mean, stuff. anger, I mean, anger issues tend to sprout out of, um, if you, if you go the psychological route, anger is a result of frustration. And frustration is a result of goals being impeded doesn't matter right. what the goal is it could be i would like to have a happy day today and here comes mom with her bs you know right. frustration i would love to do well on this test i'll study all night but if you can't if you don't have uh the the intelligence span to 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 grasp what you're learning you're not going to do well frustration you know i would love to be able to get outside of this house and not deal with this stuff frustration so things start to build up and right. anger shows up. It's what you do with it. Um, right. And so this is where this is where serial killers and I always have that break. Is that you mm-hmm. know you feel bad for people for who are having tra- traumatic childhoods, but I was like I had a traumatic childhood and I didn't kill anybody. Right. So it's like there there are choices that are made, but there are also interventions that could be made. So we're not right. justifying. We're just saying yeah. clearly people failed here. And- oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I said but- I wonder if like I feel like. Mentally, he he was predisposed to do some of the things that he did, um, just by how everything went. But I wonder if one thing would have changed it, if it would have changed it, anything. Um, but needless to say, these things went from arson and you know small animal murders to testing the waters out on you know people. Um, so his first one that was reported, first crime that was reported, is when he actually tried to sexually assault a girl. Um, so one day he offered a girl a ride home. He was driving. He was in high school at this time too. Um, and he proceeds to start to fondle her. Um, and she got away. He later talks about how his plan was to rape her. Um, and so that didn't happen. His second thing was with a six-year-old boy. He stabbed the six-year-old boy. Now his reasoning was just because he wanted to know how I felt to stab a person and that was the person there so it was it, there was no premeditation there was just i'm gonna stab the first person i see um probably because and i to be honest the kid was six he was 16 so the kid was also vulnerable i'm sure if the person was 20 he wouldn't have done it because i think gary right. was definitely about overpowering his um uh people that he murdered but he didn't murder this kid, but this kid's uh, had severe injuries to the liver. And with both cases, they weren't able to identify him because no one had seen him. Be- like the girl didn't really know about him, didn't know who he was, and the and the little boy never saw him before, so they weren't able to ID him. So he never faced any charges for these two things that he did. 
Right. I would even argue, like, with, with kids especially, um, trauma doesn't manifest itself in the way that we all think it does. Like, we, that's why when people see things like, man, if that was me, I would have done this. And the truth is, you don't know what you would do in incredibly violent situations or life and death situations. And with trauma, like, a lot of people, it, it kind of relegates to sounds and smells. Like, you won't, re- you might recognize a color, but you're not going to look at someone's face and pull everything everything about their face out of it if you've never seen them before if they're not because a lot of rapes rapes and violence happen to people you know that people who know you are hurting you and so you can say hey it was my uncle it was my cousin but if it's a stranger like you'll remember uh, that's why they do the lineups with someone saying a voice or saying a voice saying a phrase like take your plans off or something like that and because it'll trigger something like oh that's the voice if they wore a certain cologne and if you smell it again you know like all those things or how trauma manifests. So I don't, I'm not surprised that a six year old boy who was stabbed doesn't rec- couldn't pull him out of a lineup. Nope. You know, <laughs> so I mean, it's he remembers the blood coming out of him, and that's right. really all that he remembers. And then same thing with the girl, but they also didn't know of him. They didn't know who he was. Right. Um. So he didn't attack people who was familiar to him. And again, this informs of what he does later on. And he, he also never... wasn't a huge man, so that's the other side. Right. Of things. He wasn't hulking no. by any means. No. I mean, I think or part boy, of the reason why he point. got away with everything that he did is because he wasn't a huge guy. Right. You're right. Not easily identifiable. He kind of just was one of those guys who could, you see him down the street, you really don't pay them any mind. The people that walk by in the grocery store and they just look like a person. Mm-hmm. Aside from his beady little eyes, he was a... Uh, yeah, he has beady ass eyes. Like, I have like, the picture up on my desktop as I'm talking about him. I was like, look at him beady little little shit eyes like. yeah i mean he looks like if i had to make eye contact with this guy like i would be that person who like jumps at him like what you want to do something bro like, right i you know he looks like i he was wants to just start about travel. to say the same thing i would be but like if you what is wrong with you like <laughs> right but if you don't make eye contact with him you're like oh like you're just somebody else but he like his his eyes make me ups- uncomfortable like i would think yeah. he's up to no good he like yeah his eyes look like he's about to start signing with you like he looks right. like yeah he looked like trouble he looks like um, a villain Right. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. He also sure. could look like a, a grumpy janitor. I mean, it's a mixture. Well, grumpy janitors are villains, so. I guess so. Maybe the meanwhile. At least all the grumpy janitors I, in my in my <laughs> head, they were definitely villains. Sorry. Continue. So, he, going back to the story, graduated high school um, at age 20. Again, problems in school. <laughs> so, he and graduated. low IQ. Huh? I said and low IQ in the what seventies, sixties, sixties, definitely the sixties. Sixties, sixty nine. So they didn't have everything. They didn't have everything they needed. So back right. then, you would just stay back until they figured you learned enough to go out on your own. Right, and that's exactly what happened to him. And one of the things he ended up doing was marrying a girl named Claudia, um, who was a year younger than him. So he was nine. He was twenty. She was nineteen. Yeah, um, Claudia. I think her last name was Craig. Craig, yeah, Craig. They he they get married, and about maybe six months later, a couple months later, um, he decided to enlist and join the Navy, and he went away to Vietnam, and he served in Vietnam. So while he was in Vietnam, there was not much said about how he was there. I mean, I think he did what he was supposed to do, and then he came back six months later. It wasn't like he was troublesome or whatever but what was spoken about is his 
love of I can't say love because he actually hated I, I would say he hated them but he utilized a lot of sex workers while he was there um and he you know made those transactions and he did it throughout the whole time he was there unprotected to the point where he contracted gonorrhea uh when he contracted gonorrhea said that he was really pissed off at sex workers but he still continued to utilize them um but he was he was awful he would say racist slurs to them he was awful towards them uh this is all while he was married and again he was overseas he comes back to his wife and he finds out that claudia had an extramarital affair so surprisingly just the one though just the one (laughs) (laughs) not that anything's better like i guess there's a sanctity to marriage and stuff but like (laughs) i know no you're you're absolutely correct it was just the one and just the one was enough for him to file for divorce Jeez. So he, so after two years, they filed for divorce. But I think one thing to also keep in mind here, um, just because it's going to play a role, is that the every piece of information you'll find about Gary Ridgeway, it, it'll talk about in his early years of how, and it'll play out in later years as well, exactly how high of a libido he had. Yeah. Like, he I'm had, about to talk about it next. Yeah, get into <laughs> it. Yeah, I mean, so this, it really comes out, I mean, we know this because while he was away in Vietnam, he was using sex workers continuously, unprotected, nonstop. Um, This continues on to his now second marriage. He meets a girl named Marcia. Uh, Let's see if I could get her last name, Brown. Uh Well, actually, Brown is her new last name. Her name was actually Winslow at the time, too. There we go. We'll talk about information. So her name was Marcia Winslow. Um, he met her at age 26 in 1973. He gets married to her. Um, so this is the wife that he had his son. He only has one child, Matthew, with. And shortly after the birth of his son, I don't know what I want to start with. Well, let's start about with him going to church. He becomes Christian. He goes to a Baptist church. It was like a Baptist Pentecostal church and he becomes a fanatic. Mm. He goes door to door trying mm. to like tell people <laughs> about God and convert. Um, he cannot do anything without his Bible. Um, this becomes such a passion for him. Um, and it's like telling again of his personality, of his obsessive personality and it's like this obsession with sex. Now this obsession with Christianity, like the Christianity was him trying to save himself for, I don't know what he was going to do next. The escalation. I'm not, not too sure. even, I w- I'm going to go even further with this. Go ahead. Um, is that not only this. So one of the things that you'll learn, if you spend any amount of time with any evangelical Christian, like a hard line evangelical Christian, you'll hear them talk about marriage and sex more than they talk about feeding the poor or anything else. This is not shade. This is true life. Is right. It and it, right. <laughs> and they'll talk happen? about purity and they'll talk about how, how great it is to be married. And the, they'll say the Bible says a man who finds a wife, findeth a good thing. It's true. It's in there. Um, but there is this, there are these really strict ideas of gender roles in the Bible uh, that 
evangelicals play up to the point of, you know, wives submit to your husbands, but it also says husbands don't provoke your, you know, so it doesn't matter. But they don't focus on that. They focus on the submissive part and the roles that a woman is supposed to play. And a lot of the times, the woman is supposed to be a helpmate. They're supposed to be a bomb. They're supposed to be these people who are just to assist a man in his faith living. And for a man who's obsessed with sex, submission, you know, in that right, not only do I say it, God says it. So you have to listen to what I'm saying. And so I think that if you're someone who doesn't quite understand, again, he doesn't he doesn't have the the gravitas. Like he's he's got a low IQ. Um, and he's clearly really susceptible to what other people are saying to him. He's forcing Marcia, uh, Marcia, Marcia, uh, to follow the, the preaching of this crazy pastor. I don't call him crazy. This really intense pastor as well. So he's easily influenced and swayed. And so, like, there's all these things that are going into that. He's like, yeah, this sounds good. My wife should be doing these things. My wife should be, you know, falling in line. And it actually plays into why he actually then starts insisting that she has sex with him in awkward public places because it's what you're supposed to do. As my wife, you're supposed to submit to me and be there to fulfill my needs. So I think there was this Christianity provide. If you were into a really hardcore patriarchal view of the world, hardline Christianity will give you what you want, you know. And so that's what I think. That's really why he fell so deep into it. Yeah. So going off of what you said, and it's funny that you mentioned what you said because. Homeboy really had her doing some sexual things. And that's why I was like, where do I start? A religion or the sex stuff? But we're going to the sex stuff now. Because one of the things that he loved to make her do is... um, Well, it's not... Like, again, this part is not strange. He was into bondage. People could be into bondage. Um, He was into choking. People could be into choking. But he had a thing about having her have sex outdoors in all the places you could imagine. And one of the things that I found strange, and it wasn't really strange if you see what happens later, is he'll walk into the woods with her. He'll go hide in a bush, like leave her in the middle of the woods, go hide in a bush, have her waiting. Doesn't know when he's going to come. Don't know where he went. And then he'll pop out from the bush and they'll start having yeah, sex. That is odd. And I'm just no, like, so that is odd. Huh? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and again, it's like, it was like, he was like in training for what he was about to do. And maybe that's why he had the, I want to say success. So I feel feel like we have to have like an Albert Fish disclaimer once again, which is super uncomfortable, but like, because there's, rape fantasies are a real thing. You know, if you are, if we're talking about Christians, you're, you're allowed to do stuff. I don't know. I don't want to give you permission to do weird things. Um, and, like, I can't say that bondage and stuff <laughs> right? is, is wrong. Well, someone's going to be listener. upset about what I said about Christianity, I'm sure. But I've been a lifelong Christian. Um, but there is um, – but there – it's not a disorder unless you can't go your, your – unless it interferes with your everyday living, right? If you can't focus on going to work and feeding your kids and taking care of yourself and things like that, that's when your sadism, masochistic things become an issue, right? But if you're able to – to delineate and compartmentalize it to this is the time I have with my partner. This is when this, this is how we enjoy each other. That's fine. It's the other stuff where it bleeds over, like with Gary Ridgway and Albert Fish, that it becomes a problem. So I don't know. The disclaimer, and people made fun of me the last time I did this, where they're like, you were trying so hard not to make people feel bad for their stuff. And I was like, 
I, uh, I was like, <laughs> we do that. It, we do do that because, but there is a fine line. It's actually, it's there not fine. fine. I mean, it's pretty, it's a pretty bold it line that you cross when it becomes a pro- like, it's not like, <laughs> oops, sorry, I slipped over there. Like, no, no, it's a bold line where you step over and you're like, well, this is out of control. But like, there is like there, but it becomes out of control. Typically things like that is when you, when you meet people who are outside of your sphere of understanding that look at you and say, dude, that's not okay. Like, why are you, why are you okay with this? You need to get help or you need to see someone. That's usually what happened. And especially, I can't pronounce, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing her name right. Marsha, Marcia, Mars. I've seen it pronounced a lot of ways. Um, I don't know what I said. I think you said Marcia first, but it could be Marsha, but his wife, um, she also was uh, struggling with like eating, right? She had disordered eating. She had a, she had a weight problem and. right and so there's a lot of things that maybe he felt like he could just could just do to her because like where are you gonna go type vibe that that, like a lot of crappy dudes have you know and then on her perspective too it's like all right well if she had low self-esteem i'm a bigger girl i'm gonna take what i could get and this is what he wants and if his people are gonna love you no matter what size you are so it's not like she could um i i rest assured that I could get a good get you a good one, please. You <laughs> <laughs> but don't think because you're big, they're That's not, not true. To you. I don't know. I don't know. Be all your DMs. That is not true. There have been guys with the skinniest, prettiest model girlfriends looking my way. I'm like, wait a minute. First of all, you're taking service. So Second of all, uh, your girlfriend <laughs> is like a model. That's not what it is. You know what they what want. else do you want? <laughs> what? <laughs> But speaking of, even speaking <laughs> of this, so she ends up getting weight loss surgery too, and that causes problems. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what leads to the yeah, that's what leads to the divorce, <laughs> which is wild. So again, Gary cannot stand being cheated on. He could do whatever he wants, and throughout his relationship with her, he has girlfriends. He has, so, I think he still does a sex worker thing, but he right. actually has like girlfriends while he's with uh, Marcia. And she loses weight with this, bypass, yep. you know, weight loss surgery. And, yep, and he gets really, like, insecure about, oh, my God, are other people going like, oh, to, looking. check out my they wife? They were. And, and that's why he was pressed. <laughs> but, and he, and he was pressed, and that led to their divorce. Just, uh, she didn't even step out, though. Just the idea right. of another man being attracted to her, like, he was like, nah. Not fan and was out. I mean, the other piece of this is also that we talked about uh, Gary's uh, over kind of reaching and domineering mama. She never left this marriage either. Like, she was, she had her hand in their pocketbook, which is an old school saying. Um, No one calls it that anymore. In their purse. (laughs) Um, She bought all of Gary's clothes. She blamed Marcy. Like Gary at this point is like five yeah. eleven, maybe one hundred and fifty pounds. So he's a skinnier guy. He's a, he's on the, on the thinner side. So he was. She was complaining that she's not taking care of her son. Like all these things are going on, and she was like, "You know what? Like I don't have to deal with this." <laughs> and so when he wanted to get divorced, I'm sure she was like, "Bet." I know, right? <laughs> she's like, "I'm free. I don't have to go to the woods no more. I don't have to fuck around with right. you and the things that you want to do." And that's sure as hell what she did, and he had to pay child support, and he was pissed about I, it. She I, I hope. custody as well. Right. Well, I think custody, permanent custody. I don't think it was full custody because he did have visitation. So maybe primary custody. I'm not too sure, but he, she definitely had 
her son the majority of the time, and he had to pay child support, and he yeah. was pissed about I mean, about but then that. after, like, hmm, crap hits the fan. Like, this is where <laughs> things start to, right. like, yeah, things fell apart already, right? He's already showed a, pre- uh, a pretense yeah. to violence. He's choked Marcia uh, during their fights before, put her in a chokehold, I believe. So, like, they're, like he's got it there. He's got the anger. He's got the... He's got the drive and the want to, to do a lot of terrible things and not married. He also has the freedom to do what he wants. Only gets worse. Yeah. And so here it comes and it begins. Uh, Warning, we're going to talk about some stuff. I'm not going to go into the details of how he murdered all his victims and all of his victims because... Um, there are a total of, I'm going to give you a heads up, 49 victims total from what we know. There could be more. Right, I'm sure. Um, it's anywhere between yeah, 49 to 71, to 71, but this is where he began. Yeah. Yeah. But they could only, he was convicted right. for and 49. So, I mean, the other, the other piece of this too, is that he did in fact kill them the same ways. So there was no... Like the escalation right. was there as far as the num- the number of murders that happened, but it didn't get more gruesome or anything else. It was he actually uh, it was death by strangulation for his victims. That was his thing. Right. Yep. So Wendy Caulfield, she was a sixteen year old. Uh, she was in foster care and she was a sex worker. Um, they describe her as uh, a trouble you and not laughing at that i'm laughing at you you pronounce you like uh, my uncle ruben used to the i i felt yeah. like it was the pronunciation not a youth but a you that made you laugh. <laughs> i was sorry go ahead <laughs> i was aware my whole caribbean accent came out but on july 8 1982 her body was found um in the green river uh in washington and of, of course, like we said, Gary was in fact the person who uh, murdered her, and she was one of his first victims. And again, death by strangulation. Oh. Nope, no, um, no, no, huh? Uh, so this is the beginning, and after uh, Wendy, in the year night, this is July 1982, his first victim. In 1982, total there were 16 victims. Again, this is why we're no, not yeah, going definitely. through them. They were all strangulations for the most part. They were sex workers. Um, he had, um, I guess, a lot of anger towards sex workers. Um, a lot of anger, like I said, towards women. They were typically his target. They're vulnerable because, you know, they're, how do I say, no one's really checking for sex workers to make sure they're okay. They're in a dangerous line of work already. Um, some people would be like, oh, it's your fault that this happens. There are some people who think that way. So no one is really uh, caring. But the amount of people that turned up missing did alarm the police. Well, yeah, and and I, I think it's important to to recognize like what you said, that people, it's a low value, unfortunately, uh, population. Where if you even look back at, uh, if you look back at news, uh, what do you call those reports? On the television, they, people were complaining about like why do why are we caring about sex workers? Why are we spending this much time and effort and money on sex workers? Um, but that summer, like there was, I mean, he, there was another body, like Deb Bonner was found. But so they were starting to pay attention, and there is a David Riker 
who actually ended up being uh, if you don't if people don't know who he is he was actually a congressman for like 14 years he like ended his his tenure last year um but he was started off as a young officer uh in Kings County and he was put in charge of the initial uh investigation and so three days later, after they found Wendy's body, they actually found two, the bodies of two other sex workers. I don't know if you're going to go into it, but I'm here now. Um, uh, uh, is Martha Chapman uh, and Cynthia Hines were found by rafters. Um, but not, but what makes this really messed up is that while Dave uh, Reichert was investigating this, and he was like walking through the marsh of like the Green River and things, he almost steps on another body. And it's Opal Mills, who was a high school right. junior, so not a sex I mean, worker, but she was a hitchhiker. Right. And so, like, her mom would would warn her, like, hey, you keep hitchhiking. You see these stories where they're finding – she actually referenced the first story of Wendy and saying, this is up in the news. You got to be careful. And then this was her fate, which is so sad. Right. So, I mean – Sex workers, for the majority of the time, definitely people he could prey on. He was not going for people that he knew. He was not going for people that uh, could overpower him, for the most part. So, like, these are the people that he avoided. He knew, I I mean, he just knew what he was doing. Um, And so he continues. And part of his MO, also, we talked about the necrophilia, so we might as well mention it. He would sometimes come back. Uh, and have right. sex with some of the bodies. Um, he usually picked the same area along the Green River. That's why he got his uh, name, the Green River Killer. And, you know, FBI, I mean, well, 1983, there's 24 more girls that are found dead. So FBI at this point is fully involved at this point. And in 19... 19- uh, 83, John Edward Douglas, uh, was a FBI profile profiler who stated that the killer would be a white male from a troubled home who sought dominance over women. So that was a part of the profile that was right, but he did get some stuff wrong. They expected this man to be a heavy set man, not be able to keep jobs, not be able to, you know, live a normal lifestyle and like be a smoker. I would but even... Those were all wrong. Go ahead. Like Go ahead. you had stayed... Huh? <laughs> Go ahead. Well, <laughs> like you had stated before, he was smaller. He was a smaller guy. He maintained a normal living situation, jobs, relationships. He didn't have as many issues socially as somebody who would profile these yeah, people. Yeah, and I think it's, it's crazy that, I mean, the FBI's profile was wrong, which, remember the Eileen Warnos issue where they thought it was this, like a closeted homosexual? Mm-hmm. Like, no, it's an out and proud lesbian. <laughs> Um, right. you're wrong and it, which it's just so hard it's hard to profile killers it really is but even mm-hmm. like right. before all of this happened like when they were looking for suspects they were like picking people out that just were too inquisitive like they like their net just wasn't wide enough they were focused on retrieving bodies from the river and constantly scanning the body of the river for bodies and then anybody who said hey i think i have some uh, information i remember let me let me look at my notes so i'm not wrong here um Melvin Foster, did you? I don't know if you know, but Melvin Foster was a taxi driver, um, and he calls in to to say, "Hey, I want to give you the name of a driver who I think might actually be this guy because he's creepy and all these other things." And because he injected himself into the into the case, he became a person of interest. And I was watching this documentary where Melvin just seems like this really, you know, 
fuck with me and find out type guy. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Like, he's just one of those dudes who are like, I told the truth. You can dig up and look for what you want to find. And because he said that he would, you know, he he did the graveyard shift. He drove at night in the middle of the night where he would come across unsavory characters. He would be driving runaway girls to locations. He would be driving sex workers home. Or he also said that, yeah, there are times where I fed them. There are times where I gave them water, where I let them sit in my taxi to stay out of the rain. He said there were times where I helped them pay their rent if they needed it or something like that. And they're like, well, why do you care so much? You know, and so like they had this huge focus on him for spent so much money on search warrants and tearing this man's life apart. And he was cleared. And so like they were they were just digging in like the wrong in these wrong places. And it was just and if you look at Melvin right. Foster, he's this very slight, skinny, older man. He was an ex-con, and so I think that was the thing that really tricked them. But it was an ex-con who got his life together. You know, so it was this it was just this weird Right. Which is possible. <laughs> like they just they just missed so many pieces because I think they were looking for evidence, like looking for bodies, not small evidence of a killer, but just looking for more bodies in hopes of evidence. But these bodies were decomposing so quickly. They were finding skeletons. It just wasn't. Like I said, it's 1682, 83 was 24. And then in 1984, oh, yeah. it was 14. So it was a lot. It was a lot for, you know, it's, it's wild to me too, because he, fairly picked the, he picked the same pretty much locations until, to do this activity until uh, they started crawling <laughs> all over the river remember then they started then he started kind of moving there right. was that that body that was found like 25 miles south of seattle like that um right. what was it it's in the notes but it's not on the page i'm on but it's <laughs> this is how lazy i've gotten in the quarantine <laughs> scroll for what but it was like she was she was found with a paper bag over her head, like a wine bottle under her hands and like a ground up sausage shaped like a pyramid. Like clearly like these things were like, there's like this death ritual aspect. It was, what was her name? Carol Christensen. I just found it. Um, but like, so the, then people were found behind baseball fields and you know, like it was south of the airport. So there were people, like he was moving, you know, because people were in his space. You know, like, which I could see him seeing as, like, sacred. Right. I could see him viewing this space as, like, this is where I go to do my deed. Now I can't go here because there's cops everywhere. So it's, like, all this. So he starts spreading out. I'm getting ahead of us. But it's, uh, he starts moving things okay. all over the place. And they start asking for help in the weirdest of places. So, or looking for help in the weirdest of places, at least. Because if you got to talk to Ted Bundy about anything, you... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, anytime someone's like, you know who might know something. <laughs> <laughs> this guy has done a lot. Oh, man. Maybe we could ask him. Uh, is that where we are? I feel like that's where we yeah. are. Three. I feel like we. <laughs> I mean, I'm just gonna mention yes. Rebecca Guay Guay Guay. I do want to mention her. So back in 1984, there was a sex worker who I guess went on a car date with Gary in 1982. Um, During this car date, he began to attack her. She bit his penis. (laughs) That was very, like, brought to me, but here it is. (laughs) I I said penis. I was. I said the word penis, and then I was taken aback by it. Out of all the things we've covered on this podcast, you're like, you're like, penis, (laughs) oh my. I had a moment. I was like, like that's so exactly sorry, what guys. happened. I was like, oh shit. You're a mess. <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought I wasn't gonna laugh, but here it is. 
Um, so yeah, she bit him there and then he started to choke her. So in 1984, two years later, the, after the incident, she goes to the police and she's describing the incident and this guy that did this and it leads them to Gary. Um, so they question Gary about it. Like what happened? You know, she's saying you choked her. He was like, well, you know, I didn't, you know, plan on choking her, but she, she, you know, bit me and it was my reaction and yada, yada, yada. And they release him. I mean, they released him partially because she didn't want to press any charges. And it took her two years to talk about this because she was a sex worker. She was using drugs. You're not going to go to the cops. Hi, you know, you're not going to go to the cops, you know, right? So I think she had cleaned up enough or maybe was concerned about some of her sex worker friends, which is possible uh, for her to go and say something at this point. But it was two years later. And again, uh, she she didn't want to press any charges and they asked her to. And she said no. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a strange time that because Gary Ridgway kept coming in uh, and out of the police uh, station in general. Like, if we talk about the fact that in 1983, was it? Right. Um, where Marie Melvar... Um, so, the other thing that we have to kind of preface is that there are, there are relationships where girls are clearly uh, manipulated and extorted to, perfor- to perform sex work, right? Where we know that boyfriends are using them to get money to fuel either be addictions, lifestyles, doesn't matter. Um, it's wrong. But it's it's what happens, and so there was a girl Mel, uh, Marie Melvar, um, who as April thirtieth, nineteen eighty three, uh, she was you know doing they call them strolls back in the day, uh, but certain you you worked a certain amount of blocks because that's where you knew you could go find sex workers. So near the Three Bears Motel, um, and her boyfriend Bobby was watching her because that's what you did. You know you provided protection, um, and so she got picked up by a truck by a pickup truck, uh, like a dark primered pickup truck. And he starts to follow, and he thinks he sees a struggle, right? And in this struggle, you know, he loses them. He pulls up, and he loses them at a red light. I don't know if it was, like, cars blocking him. We don't know all those details. But she disappears for three days, right? And so we're looking, and so he goes to her father and says, hey, I don't know where your daughter is. I saw that she uh, saw something. Obviously didn't say she was a sex worker, but... You know, like, say she got into the car with some guy. And so they went going house by house to look for this truck. And they found this truck in the driveway of Gary Ridgway's house. Right? And then November of that same year, when Kim Nelson disappeared off of a stroll, uh, Paige Miley, who was another sex worker, was able to see uh, this driver, the driver of the car, and kind of, like, know what he looked like when her friend just disappeared. Uh, And so she went to the police. (laughs) Because sex workers look out for each other. They do, for the most part. Especially if you know each other. Um, right. And she was shown like a photo kind of collage. And she was able to pick out Gary Ridgway after she was shown, she had been shown a sketch at first. And so, like, he's had these these kind of calls with the police during this time where he's murdering, what, at this point, 30 people? 28 people? Something like that. So, it's like he's in and out. It's not even like he's hiding and he's elusive. He's... <laughs> Like he's been, no. uh, he's been connected to these crimes, and he ends up getting let go, and so it's just like, and then what is it? Eighty four, he gets picked up, he picks up an undercover police officer. Yeah, uh, 
It's 84. He gets put, he puts up an undercover police officer. They make him do a polygraph test because he's a suspect. And he passes it. <laughs> and so, which of you, I mean, I don't think he's he's trained enough to just beat one. I just think they ask the right questions. Um, and so he beats this polygraph test. So all these things like are happening where he's clearly in and out of the police stations and in and out of their eyes. And no one decides to take a better look. <laughs> So, just so for some more uh, FYEZ, <laughs> um, we talked about this earlier, how he uh, used his son. Oh, we talked yeah. about it. Okay, <laughs> let me clarify. He used his son <laughs> to lure some of these women, just so they would know he was safe. He would sometimes show them his son's room. Um, you know, he, he went out of his way to make these girls feel comfortable with him. Uh, for the mm. ones that were apprehensive. And they're like, a guy with a child. Oh my god, he's okay. He's a dad. Um, he was not okay. Also, he was totally careless at the scene of these right. crimes. I mean, like, semen. There was gum. Just anything. Like, he was, Cigarettes. He was careless. Um, there was enough evidence. There wasn't right. the technology. So DNA testing was such a problem way back then. Um, only because in a lot of their attempts to test things, they would destroy or the uh, evidence would be like tarnished in way. Like there are so many, and we'll talk about that as we start, as we start to wrap things up a little bit later, but it's still, it's so weird how there's so many pieces of evidence that you could have gone for and all you had to do, literally all you had to do was, <laughs> was you know, was just, <laughs> test this dude and they always they do end up testing him later on where they get yeah where they get a search warrant for his house and things in 87 and they get bodily fluids as a part of that search because it's not hard to push for that especially if he's come up three times in these investigations um but i want to talk a little bit about the fact that they went to ted bundy because this is about the time that ted bundy's trial was like happening he was in the news a lot and yep some people will say he's doing this because he wanted the attention, and that was what his thing was. He's like, I need everyone paying attention to me. Who the hell is this Green River Killer think he is? So he sends a letter and <laughs> in October of 1984 to offer a theory. And he's telling a story about a man named the River Man, right? He's just kind of piecing together this thing. But he's also saying that he's also giving them, like, suggestions. Like, you know what you should do is, like, go to where you find a fresh body and, like, go stake it out because he's probably going to come back. He's probably the type of guy to come back and visit his crime scene. He's probably having sex with these with these corpses. And he's not wrong, right? He's clearly he's clearly right. But the problem is right. where they find these bodies and they're already decomposed or they're skeletons, so they weren't really um, doing it. But he says something that's really interesting to me, and I want to find it right here. He says that... Um, he says, you know, uh, I mean, that there may be some other evidence, but there are certainties. No question that the victim and the guy were there. That's a tremendous advantage. That's where I would focus. But then he says, where is it? Oh, man. He says, this guy is like a fox where he knows his stuff. He knows it like any predator that seems to know his victim, not in any kind of analytical way, but in a more sensory, intuitive way. So he's accounting for the fact that he doesn't think this guy is super smart. He's not outwitting you. He's a, it's more of a, he just knows where to go and where to look. And so Ted Bundy actually gave like a real, <laughs> like analytical, 
better than the he's FBI. Like, what he what else he did he was say? right on the money. He says he doesn't want to get caught, so he's going to make changes in his behavior both to stay ahead of you and to avoid publicity. He may not be the sophisticated type to sit down and analyze anything. And I'm like, why is this serial killer? <laughs> what he needed to do is be an FBI yeah, but we talked about how people like we know that Ted Bundy wasn't super intelligent that's just the lie we tell everyone because he was good looking and Caucasian in the 70s yeah. but like he's just because he's not he wasn't much <laughs> smarter than the average Joe it was just the fact no, he didn't he look like what people thought a killer him. was that was literally it um, and thanks to Zac Efron now everyone's like yeah Ted Bundy you see my thing so and that's weird. It's so weird how people are like fetishizing him. Look, it's don't get me started. Weird. I had a whole bunch of complaints. Sexualizing like him. Zac Efron. Yeah. I get yeah. not Ted Bundy. Zac Efron's not really Ted Bundy, guys. Just say you like Zac Efron. That's all. <laughs> like, just stay right. there. Oh man, it's just funny to me that Ted Bundy was the consultant that they flew down to Florida and was like, yeah, they sat with him for two for two days. They were down there sitting with Ted Bundy, picking his brain about this. Oh, he's probably getting all types of like treats, commissary, right. extra stuff that he wasn't getting. So it's it blows <laughs> enjoying my mind. this time. Totally blows my mind. <sighs> right. So uh, we're in 1984. Like I said, he had 14. So this guy keeps going and going and going and going until he met somebody very important, uh, which would be his third wife. I said, "Oh, uh, like I know her, Judith Morrison." <laughs> he began dating Judith Mawson in uh, 1985, and they finally married in 1988. I actually you cannot they find met? that much information about. They met at some group, didn't huh? they? I couldn't figure. I couldn't find it, and I feel like her relationship with him was overshadowed by. <laughs> I don't know. I was going to say P flag oh when I was God. looking. I was like, they did not meet at huh? P flag. Where the hell did they meet? I don't know what I couldn't figure it out. I could not find it. Most of the interviews were talking about how she had no clue. Well, yeah, I mean that's what, you yeah, hear that about a lot of people, though. A lot of people, you only see what people want you to see, right? Unless they're they're terrifying right. you and ter- terrorizing you. Ah, uh, here we go. Parents without partners. People are wonder. What? Yeah, people without partners is where they met. People with what? Uh, it is What's a. That? Upset people without partners, parents without partners. Sorry. Oh God! No, it's, it's a like place a dating for parents, thing. people who are. He's a parent without and single parents. Right. No, it's, not, it's, it's supposed a dating to be. Thing. It's supposed to be. Yeah. Or oh, is it it's a support group? Be, that's what I just yeah. <laughs> I was like, and that's how they met. Is so I was I was like, what is it called? It was some. It was some. Does she have I, a child? I, I'd imagine so. We don't know much about her, but I I. Right, but they don't, that's they they don't mention that. They just talk about how she did not know what he was doing. And actually, for the time that they were together, so they were together for 14 years, in the time that they were together, he only, only murdered three Imagine people. Imagine so the emphasis said it. only, I'm, compared to 16, listen, 14, and 14. But listen, but listen, but listen. We know that he was crazy, like 24, 26, insane numbers before and now he's at three while he was with her, and I think it's a relationship that probably saved right. a lot of people. To be honest, she was very she was very nurturing, and she saw him as this very good man. He had a steady job, you know. He was truck paying for what fifteen years right. at this point, so it wasn't like 
he was some in and out of work guy. He was always poor. He had steady income. He was responsible. He paid his bills on time. He was just a murderer, you know, and she had no idea. There's a lot of people who just don't Mm -hmm. know, you know, I, I have people in my life. I tell you guys, I have a friend's parent who's in jail for murder and we had no idea. Like, and this is when we were younger. I don't still talk to them, but when we found out how and when we were like, what? Like, bro, they were, y'all were at my birthday party. What? You know? So it's like, (laughs) so it's, 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 it gets weird, man. Sometimes (laughs) people show you what they want to, what they want you to see. And outside of that, unless you've got CIA analyst powers or you're Jesus, you just don't know. So it blows. It, 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 it blows so much. Right. So again, there was just a period of pause for him a little bit, and that's where the gap was. And then stuff happened, and then he gets well. Caught. Yeah. So let's so fast let's forward because that's that. what happens because we there's a there's some empty pieces there that aren't too too um interesting. But in 1990 is where kind of everything starts to slow down, and the investigation had spent millions millions looking for the the Green River Killer at this point, and you couldn't. Yeah. Didn't some of the investigators like start getting right. really stressed? Like it was, it was really stressful. With some of them, right? They, they therapists and all this stuff. Like the police station was providing them, and so like it was all these things were going on. Um, and so you can't justify the cost of this investigation if you're not turning up any productive leads or anything. And so by 1990, the task force was just one person. And it was Dave Reichert, and then once he got promoted, the task force was zero. Right. And so we fast forward to August 2001, and now Riker is the sheriff of King County. And so he's got control and power, and he can move things with his mind, right? I'm talking like he's a mutant from X-Men. Um, <laughs> but what he was able to do was connect with Beverly Himmick, who is a DNA analyst at the state crime lab. And from there, he was able to get her cleared and assigned to work the Green Killer case. And so I mentioned earlier that... Excuse me. I mentioned earlier... Um, that when you old school DNA testing would destroy a lot of the evidence because it was clumsy, it was abrasive, there was a lot of things being done, people were trying new things, new chemicals that would wear things out. And so when Beverly got the kits and the evidence, she literally got like worn down cotton swabs. They were like strings of cotton on sticks, you know, that she was like she was working with. She was working with literally nothing, but Beverly is a badass. Like, so she, and she's good at her job. And so she was able to work that and she was able to create a genetic profile of the killer from what she was given. And so what she did is she ran it against the national database and got nothing. Right. And so she says, well, let me run it against the the DNA profiles we got from the suspect list. Cause there were several suspect lists. There were C, B and A. Um, and the A-list had Gary Ridgway in it, so she ran it against the A-list, the people who had the higher priority. And ding, 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 you guessed it, right. Gary Ridgway pops up. And so after this, they put a surveillance detail on him because they want to watch what he's doing. And lo and behold, like he is driving down the same strolls that a lot of these women were disappearing from. He was stopping, and he was talking with them, he had picked up. A couple of women and actually dropped them off. Maybe, maybe he knew he was being watched. Maybe they said, hey, my bo- my boyfriend's following me or my buddy's in a car behind me or someone's expecting me, whatever. And so what they realize is that, hey, this guy is too dangerous to keep on the streets. If this is his client, if this is his victim like population, we can't leave him here. And so what happens is on November 30th, 2001, they approach him as he's leaving work and they, you know, hey, you're under arrest for the murders of these four people. And his response was more of like a, oh, okay. 
Like he wasn't even he wasn't angry, he wasn't fighting, right. he tried to run. He was like more of a it's about time type vibe. Um and so even in this, so right. the DNA evidence that they had tied him to four of the victims. But a lot more digging goes into this. And so this is like actual police work stuff, right? And so they realized they had found yeah. paint chips on three of the victims. Like minute paint chips. And so there's a word for it, and I can't remember what it was, but it's like micro analytic. People, you see it all the time where people, the people that you have a blade of grass in your boot or sand or a rock or something, they can tell you where it came from. They could say like, oh, this, this is native yeah. to this beach because of this volcano. This is where this person probably. Is it like geo? Yeah. <laughs> and so what they did was through this analysis, it turns out that these paint chips were a high-end paint uh, called DuPont, which is the brand Imran. And it's only available, catch this, in commercial shops like auto body shops or like auto paint shops like the one that Ridgeway works at. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> ding and so ding. now he's connected to seven victims, right? Not just, what are the odds that this man's semen is at four victims and then three people have, the like, this man is clearly connected. There's no, like, shifting away from that. And so what happens was the police share this information with uh, Gary's defense attorney and say, here, this is what we found out. Your man's going down for at least seven murders, bro. And we could probably tag him and the rest of right. them on. And so what happens is Ridgeway decides to cooperate. Like he realizes that there's if you go to a yeah, jury, bro, you're gonna get the needle. Like they're like this is what <laughs> this is what's gonna happen, you know, type vibe. Um, <laughs> but mm-hmm. so they say, hey, you're, if you go to trial, you're you're going to jail. You're gonna be found guilty regardless. It's not gonna take very long, bro. Like you should just kind of take a plea deal. And so that's what he ends up doing. Um, and so this is when he starts telling up. All the secrets he starts bringing the police to uh, sites where he dumped the bodies. Right, Place. some came up with nothing, right? And he they would show him pictures, and you could tell that he doesn't remember names, he doesn't remember faces. But they say as he got closer to the places they told him, he would start to remember things. Like he would be like, oh, you know, oh yeah, that's right. If you look by this tree, this is where you should find that person. Or yeah, she was wearing red that day. Like though he'd remember details like that, but nothing identifiable until they found uh the remains and he, then he would even they were asking about what he did with the bodies because you have to ask and he was saying what Wait, i mean no i said i mean at the end of this he was still apologizing right to the people that you know and then he was he was being very very thorough in his explanations he was even saying there were times where he was going back to have his way with these corpses and he had to move like maggots aside you know like gross stuff like that that he was doing um and then asked, like, mm. why, why wouldn't he just have to, why wouldn't he just have sex with prostitutes and move on to a new prostitute or a sex worker? I'm sorry. And he says, well, the one thing is you'd have to pay for it. What? <laughs> you know he was cheap because he was mad about right. his, like, and then, job so, the Right. And then they asked, saying, hey, like, so what do you think is missing? Gary, like, what is missing in you that would allow you to do these things? And his response, which I thought was super chilling, you know, was, you know, well, it's the whole caring thing. You know, like, you're not able to care about people. But then if you look at his last wife, you know, he clearly, right. I mean, well, we know sociopaths are able to mimic behaviors. Uh... So he could be mimic 
egging affection. But, right. really but it is it was a it was a whole mess, and so it ends up happening. Um, once all this is done, they're done picking his brain because for a while he was for three months or something like that. He was in solitary confinement, and they were questioning him for hours on an end about all these things. So in the end, he ends up confessing um, to killing sixty one women, and then another time he confesses to killing seventy one. Um, but ultimately, he can only remember really forty eight that he could really give them evidence, like detail that evidence could corroborate. Yeah. Um. So on November second of two thousand three, uh, he pleads guilty to those forty eight uh charges of aggravated uh first degree murder. Um. He also confessed to having sex with six of those bodies that he had killed and moving dead bodies. So those are other crimes. You're not allowed to move bodies outside of you know crime scenes and things like that. And so on December eighteenth. Uh, about a month and a half later of 2003, he was sentenced to 480 years uh, without parole for each of those, like all those murders. Um, and as of July this uh, 2018, um, he was in Washington State Penitentiary. And I, I like this name, Walla Walla, yep. Washington. So. <laughs> so he's still very much alive. His wor- his wife ended up uh, divorcing him in 2002, right. obviously, because... You, you do what you got to, sis. <laughs> I understand. Uh, but that's Gary Ridgway. I'm, we got through that pretty yeah. pretty well. I mean, it's one of the longest episodes we've done, I'd say that. Yeah. <laughs> I, right? Um, he Usually gave you start things to split that you things. wanted. You're welcome. Uh, the next one's not going to be any more fun, guys. It's traumatizing. It's gross. I told her today what yeah. it was, and she was like, oh, yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Well, you know, it's a it's a Charnel pick. Well, there's no murder in this one, so I, it's just all gross. Gory. So, but also yeah. it speaks to uh, it. Kind of goes back to the the old call of how people mind their business. You know, way too often if you eat like black folks yeah. mind their business, but yeah. also people who live in really nice neighborhoods don't complain too much unless you look like you're an outsider. So nope. if you if I see you every yeah. day. And <laughs> you doing sketchy stuff, that's fine, right? It's, I'm going to mind my business. I'm not going to get into Terry's stuff. But let me walk through your neighborhood. They'll be like, uh, sir. Right. <laughs> but it's right. it's one of those cases where, <laughs> right. It's one of those cases here. where. The name, the neighborhood watch absolutely. that aren't watching. It's one of those cases people. where you, if you see something, you should have said something. And so it is, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to dive a little bit more into it. I just discovered it's. Like, I heard about it slightly two years ago, but it came back up in a Reddit because I live there. Um, <laughs> a Reddit a Reddit thread. And I was like, oh, man. You like all the ghetto places in the internet. Twitter, Reddit. These are all ghetto places that I don't... I don't tr- Some I don't of us know. was raised in the ghetto. Says, and all of us grew up in a three-bedroom house. And you know... <laughs> our moms were nurses and stuff. There we go. You know, so... <laughs> Listen... Listen, you know that part where like Simba and like his Mufasa tells Simba not to go over to that dark side in the movie Lion King. This is what I feel like Twitter and Reddit are like. I don't well, go over hey. there. But you know, Mufasa, Mufasa pulled up to. there when he had to, though. <laughs> so, hey, Mufasa ain't had well, no fear. He was saying you shouldn't go there because you are small. Well, I'm pretend. You know what? You must be Mufasa, and you could go ahead and live there. But I'm gonna stay over here because I'm not gonna do it. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. This is it's good to be back. Um, Literally, keep your hands clean, like for real this time. Right, definitely keep your hands clean. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. Um, Stay home if you can help it. Like, yeah, please. 
I know some people like don't feel like this it is, is real, but and I've I mean I've been out a few yeah. times because I've had yeah. to, so I've done things like I've I've gone grocery yeah. shopping for people um who can't yeah it's I, terrible I, grocery shopping is horrifying yeah we have but for older have people I've done it for like people at my church um, who are like immunocompromised and stuff and so that's yeah. exactly the circumstance Cody and I have but um stay stay safe stay inside um. Stay inside so I could go outside again. Not that I really want to, but it's my birthday and I'm really sad about like not going outside for my birthday. About you. Yeah, stay um, inside so, so yeah. we all can go outside at yeah. some point. I would love <laughs> the summer. I know that um here in Connecticut today, yeah, Charnel in Connecticut is today it said that like all essential businesses are closed till May 30th. Um, so like we know that at yeah. least till June. So if you guys could just follow some rules for the rest yeah. of us. And so, like, because I would love to have us. I, I cookouts are my favorite part of the summer. <laughs> I bought look. I bought overalls. Summer is actually. <laughs> I I I am a I, I'm an introvert, but I love and I'm with you. I love the motherfucking summer. I love the sun. I think I would probably go out more if I lived down south because I love the the sun. So. So where could they find? Oh uh, well, sir? they can find me. Uh, Lordy, they can find me in three places. It's usually Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter. You know, I live, I live in the hood of the internet because I can, um, it's Charnel B. Uh, find me there, like, double tap, follow, do all that fun stuff. Where can they find you? They do want to tap you. Um, y'all can find me on Instagram because I love pretty pictures. So you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter on occasion when I have feelings about things at D underscore S online. Um, yeah. And you could also find me outside if y'all stay inside. So. Right. And you can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at what did you do pod? Uh, follow, follow all those things. Tweet us. Uh, DM us on Instagram. D f- f- keeps up with the Instagram stuff. Or at least she should. I haven't looked. Uh, but she is, um, and I'm on the, I'm on the <laughs> on Twitter occasion. for reals. So we can't wait to do this again, guys. We missed you. We did. Um, so again, like D said, please keep your hands clean. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. Stay in your house. Love your family members. Eat food. Get fat and sassy. That's it. <laughs> Bye. Bye.